Welcome to Religious Freedom Matters. I'm your host, Andrea Pachati Bayer, Director of The Conscience Project. We've teamed up with the National Catholic Register to bring you a podcast series with an A-list group of scholars and advocates to discuss why religious freedom matters. Joining me are Matthew Bunsen, Executive Editor and DC Bureau Chief for EWTN News, and Roger Severino, Senior Fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center and Director of the Center's new HHS Accountability Project. Thanks for joining me, guys. Now, healthcare affects every American, whether we're ill or looking to stay healthy, as parents and caretakers for aging relatives, and especially for those who work as medical professionals. There are many issues related to healthcare and medical procedures and services that implicate religious freedom and conscience rights. If you're a healthcare worker, can you be forced to participate in an abortion? It's an awful thought. Unfortunately, these are the types of questions we're faced nowadays. For today's episode, we're going to address these and what protections exist. Is the government actually enforcing these protections? Who is on our side in all of this? I'm so happy that Roger's joining us. Roger Severino is one of the country's leading voices for the respect of the rights of conscience and religious freedom as they relate to the practice and provision of medical care and attention. He's an experienced civil rights attorney who headed up the Office of Civil Rights at the Department of Health and Human Services during the Trump administration. Roger was part of creating the Conscience and Religious Freedom Division within that office. Thank you so much for joining us, Roger. Thanks, Andrea. And you know, you have the best radio voice. Do I really? Anybody ever told you that? You have a very good radio voice. Yourself. Thank you. <laughs> now, Roger has this great new gig at the Ethics and Public Policy Center directing its HHS Accountability Project. Tell us a little bit about the project and what you hope you can do with it. It's very much a continuation of what I was doing at HHS as head of the Civil Rights Office. But instead of being on offense, so to speak, it's now on defense. It's trying to preserve many of the great things we did under the Trump administration, furthering life, conscience, and religious freedom, and the proper understanding of civil rights, grounded in that basic notion of equality, that we are all created equal, and that we deserve the best possible health care and human services from conception until natural death. That's the true mission of HHS. It's the largest agency in the country by budget, and it touches so many aspects of people's lives. And if we misunderstand what it really means to be a proper human being, then things go bad from there. So we start with that premise, and then it then we see how it, it is elaborated out in the actual provision of these services that touch so many lives. Roger, that's a, a perfect segue into my first question, because I, I wanted to have a conversation, a brief overview about conscience rights and religious freedom in the healthcare context, and starting off with some of those foundational ethical principles. Well, it starts with the questions that deal most with life and death. Those are the ones that have the most profound ethical implications on the issues of research, on the issues of abortion, on the issues of assisted suicide. All of these questions, I believe, are the most important questions. And HHS has an outsized role in funding good things and bad things on these questions. There is a basic understanding that whatever one's views on the morality of things like assisted suicide and abortion, conscience comes into play because we should not be forcing people to come down and violating their conscience to assist in the taking of a life, to participate in assisted suicide, 
or to have taxpayers to fund it. Now, thankfully, we have the First Amendment to the Constitution that protects free exercise of religion as well as free speech and assembly. We also have various laws passed by Congress that protect religious exercise and that protect conscience and morality when it comes to the provision of medical services, both in the training of doctors, in the day-to-day operations of medical professionals in their fields, that they are protected from being forced by their bosses to violate their consciences when it comes to healthcare. And again, this touches on many questions of life and death and also the fundamental understanding of what it means to be a human person, human identity, and human flourishing. The government should not be forcing people to violate their conscience and religious beliefs on these primordial issues. What exists currently in in the Constitution and in American law uh, that provides us with that kind of grounding uh, Mm -hmm. that we can spring from? We've done quite well in terms of preserving religious freedom at the Supreme Court recently. Things have gotten uh, pretty good in, in paring back some of the bad precedents. Employment Division versus Smith is going to be up for grabs in the Fulton case coming up that deals with adoption. We saw in COVID the restrictions that were overbearing on houses of worship being protected, scaled back and protection being granted by the Supreme Court. When I was at HHS, there was a case called Nifla versus Becerra that dealt with pregnancy resource centers being forced by the state of California to refer for abortions. Now imagine that. A pregnancy resource center is designed to try to give women options other than abortions being forced by the state to refer for it. And the Supreme Court said that that like very likely violated the First Amendment, free speech protections, and my office said it violated the Weldon Amendment, a federal protection that prevents discrimination against pro-life organizations that receive and uh, when the state receives federal funds. So that was Nifla versus Becerra. My finding of violation was against Becerra. Javier Becerra is now the secretary of HHS. That is a very troubling omen. Well, and Roger, it's very interesting. I was uh, able to file a brief in the Supreme Court in the the NIFLA case and in a precursor involving Baltimore um, as well in the lower court of appeals and, and sharing with the court the stories of women who were beneficiaries of pregnancy resource centers and how the supports to be able to help them carry their child to term and be able to flourish as mothers and as well as for the children. And it was a it was a great opportunity to add and infuse into what can oftentimes be a very legal, dry conversation, the reality that uh, there is a different option out there. And I, I wanted to also chime in with regard to the, the law that was being imposed in California actually advanced by our current vice president, by Kamala Harris. Um, and and she previously, before becoming vice president um, and be- before becoming a senator for the state of California, was in the position of Javier Becerra. And it's it's troubling and disappointing that, the, that our federal government now has folks that were really antagonistic to something that offers an out for people who are facing and don't have the supports that they need to be able to carry their pregnancy. But going back to uh, something that you mentioned, with, which was the Weldon Amendments, um, let's talk a little bit about some of the federal laws that are out there, whether they're attached to appropriations bills or different laws, so that people can understand that, that there is a grounding, not just in the Constitution, but existing federal law that supports the right to conscience. 
Yes, and, and that's crucially important. The, the Constitution only goes so far, and we need to have these additional supports by statute. So we have the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which is under attack in Congress now. They're proposing restrictions to eliminate many of its protections, especially when it has to do with any civil rights statute. And this is a, a false battle. This is not a question of anybody denying people's services because of their identities. It's mostly objections to procedures, mm -hmm. procedures like abortions or sex reassignment surgeries that are available to uh, widespread in this country. But it's very much the, the question that arose with the Masterpiece Cake Shop decision about the baker who would not bake a cake for a same-sex wedding but would bake a cake for anybody. It's that sort of totalitarian impulse to mm -hmm. say that you must do things against your conscience no matter what, all or nothing. There can be no exceptions whatsoever, even though there are plenty of options for anybody who wants these procedures done. We've seen that with the personnel that you had mentioned, starting with President Biden, who said he wants to repeal the Hyde Amendment. Mm. For decades, we've had this protection where taxpayer funds do not go towards abortions. Again, there's a large consensus of Americans, even those who are self-identified as pro-choice, who don't want to force their neighbors to pay for other people's abortions. But President Biden said he wants to get rid of that. Kamala Harris has also been on record against conscious protections from her days as Attorney General of California. Same thing as Javier Becerra. We actually took away $200 million in Medicaid funds because Javier Becerra was forcing abortion insurance on all citizens in California. Again, all or nothing. People who don't want abortion insurance were being forced to get it, even an order of nuns. And that's what it came to, an order of nuns being forced to, to get abortion insurance. And you have Harvey Becerra and also Dr. Rachel Levine, who's very much pushing a transgender ideology against the conscience objections of physicians and hospitals who do not want to participate in removal of healthy organs especially on minors. These are the issues that are now coming to the forefront, and we need these statutes to be enforced. I stood up a Conscience Religious Freedom Division at HHS specifically to enforce these statutes. I'm afraid for the future at the, that division. The, the signs are very bad. Uh, the latest from their budget doesn't even mention the division, which suggests they're going to be folding it, folding that division and, and closing shop. That would be a, a horrible, horrible development. One of the questions that's often asked is uh, we're, we're looking at the Hyde Amendment uh, that they want to expunge from the budget, uh, the $6 trillion budget, it, it's worth pointing out. One of the questions though, that is also asked is uh, what the potential impact on health conscience rights will be flowing from like the removal of the, the Mexico City policy. Well, Mexico City is very much outward focused. That's money going towards advocacy organizations abroad that will push for abortion instead of healthcare. And that is that causes so much trouble. Why are we gonna export something that is so harmful to Americans to countries that already reject abortion? We should not be funding abortion advocacy abroad. That's one of the first things that President Biden did. As much as President Biden touts his Catholic identity, time and again he's going against basic teachings of the Catholic Church on the question of life. And it, it's it's sad to see him continue to try to pull out the Catholic card when he does not stand in favor of life and it's in favor of coercing the church. Because what we're talking about here are many church-run institutions, church-run hospitals 
that would could be driven out of business to be if they're forced to perform these procedures that they that violate Catholic teaching that clearly violate Catholic teaching because they involve the taking of human life or misunderstanding of the human person. That sort of coercion is what he, President Biden is in favor of, and and that's sad to see, especially because he trots out his Catholic identity. Well, I was going to say we are assured repeatedly by his uh, spokespeople that he is a devout Catholic who attends mass regularly. Yeah, and. It's it's sad to see that the policies that he's coming up with are so directly contrary to Catholic teaching. Roger, you and I share the same experience of having worked at the U.S. Department of Justice in the Civil Rights Division. We're both line lawyers. I was much younger then than I am now. Um, And maybe we were both in different administrations. I started in one administration, carried over to a different one. And one of the important things that happen often, especially in a division that can have changed priorities if there's a, a change in administration, change in parties, is the continuity of cases. And when you were at HHS, there was a troubling case that came into the department involving the university hospital at the University of Vermont, where nurses were being compelled to participate in abortion. And it was intriguing to me to see that not only did you, in your position, try to work with the university hospital to change their policies and practices to allow for conscience objections and exclude people who didn't want to participate, But when they refused to do so, when they refused to comply with their legal obligations, the Department of Justice came in. Can you tell us a little bit about that unique case, which I think was fabulous, and what you know is happening now? Mm -hmm. The case was just so sad. It was a nurse who, of course, entered into the practice of medicine to help save lives, had made it clear that she would not assist in abortions because that violated her beliefs. Hospital knew this. They started ramping up their abortion services. This is happening more and more often where hospitals are taking in the local Planned Parenthood affiliates that aren't making enough money, so they share overhead. So they start expanding abortion. They call in the nurse on a weekend and say, we need help with the after effects of a miscarriage. That was false. When she walks in, the doctor says, please don't hate me, because everybody knew that this was actually an abortion of a live child. And faced with the potential of losing her license for patient abandonment, this accusation that would be thrown against her by the hospital and losing her job but being unable to serve, she made that horrible choice under duress and went through with it and was scarred forever, right? The hospital knew it, they did it anyway. And that is just a gross violation of, of course, morality and ethics, but also federal law. And the law. Also federal law. The church amendments prohibit institutions that receive federal funds, including the University of Vermont Medical Center, from coercing its staff to perform abortions, period. It's very cut and dry. It's up to them to schedule people to be able to provide those services if they want to without coercion. The analogy I I use is this. If you're prepared to suffer through the winter storms of Vermont (laughs) and you're able to schedule your staff to continue in operations, you don't need to call her in. You did not need to call her in. You did not need to call You were trying to make a point. And that's wrong on so many levels. We entered into negotiations with them. They wanted to have an out to be able to say at their discretion, we're going to schedule to an abortion anyway. And we said, I'm sorry, that doesn't comply with the law. And we ended up suing 
through the Department of Justice. Now, what remains to be seen is now with this new administration, with Biden, Becerra, and the others, what are they going to do with this case? The, mm-hmm. the law is clearly on the side of the nurse. They should not be receiving federal funds. They need to change their policies. They cannot have an escape clause. I'm curious to see what they're going to do with it. Are they going to buckle and enter into a sweetheart deal because they're so pro-abortion? Or are they going to follow the law? I'm afraid they're going to make a sweetheart deal because this administration is the most pro-abortion in history. On issue after issue after issue, they've sided with the abortion radicals and against conscience. It, well, and on, on this issue, it's a matter of lawlessness. Absolutely. You know, separate and apart from the morality and the problems of, of forcing someone to be participating and complicit in the killing and, of a, a child, there's, and, there's a law. Yeah, there, and that's what's terrible about the recent developments is that in their latest budget submission for HHS, there is no mention of the conscience division as a separate entity, which means they are shutting it down. They did it on a Friday before a long weekend. They want to do it quietly, so word needs to spread out that this is what they're doing because they do not believe in enforcing the law, the law that the people's representatives have passed with bipartisan majorities for decades. The Weldon Amendment has been re-upped with every single appropriations bill. But if you don't have anyone supervising and enforcing, a law becomes... Yes, it's a dead letter. And with these laws, courts have not recognized the ability of private people to sue. It'd be one thing if private people could sue on their own. They wouldn't have to rely on the administration. Courts have not recognized that. Mm -hmm. So that's why I started the division, to make sure that there's somebody there always watching because it is a precious civil right. It is the premier one, and it should get at least as good attention and focus as every other civil right when it comes to sex discrimination, disability discrimination, all incredibly important. Religious freedom and conscience should not be treated as a second-class right. Amen. Well, one of those major challenges to conscience rights of healthcare workers has been the Affordable Care Act and, of course, its sweeping mandates, in particular the contraceptive mandate. What is the mandate for those who need a refresher in this because it has been a bit out of the news? And how did it come about and where are we with it at this point? The mandate, as best illustrated by the Zubik Little Sisters case, was requiring everybody who provided insurance as an employer to participate in providing insurance for contraceptives, including abortifacient contraceptives. The Little Sisters of the Poor were caught in that dragnet and were being required by HHS to provide contraceptives for fellow nuns. Now, I don't need to explain to your listeners how ridiculous that is, but that is that was the federal government's position at HHS. Now, had we had no Obamacare, there would have been no contraceptive mandate. So it's a lesson there. The bigger government expands, the more intrusive it gets, the more areas of human life can they, be trampled on. They regulate, yes, the more your rights can be trampled upon. And it requires people then to really watch what their regulators are doing. It wasn't a law that was passed that said you must provide contraceptive coverage. It was a law that said you should provide preventative services. And then there was a committee of HHS that was convened and said, well, we're going to cover contraceptives. And then they issued a regulation saying, Ben, we're going to exempt just some churches. And then on and on and on. All of this wasn't passed through statute. It was all through regulations and through committees. And it's pretty far from the democratic process. Little Sisters defended their rights. They were vindicated at the Supreme Court now multiple times, but the the current administration is still going after them. Javier Becerra went after them in California because, again, it's that totalitarian instinct. There shall be no exceptions for anyone. If there's a single crack in the facade, somehow that, that is a glitch in the program that must be eliminated, and they will not leave the Little Sisters alone to this day. So there's still litigation ongoing. 
we in the Trump administration reversed the contraceptive mandate, passed a regulation that said if you have a moral or religious objection, then you don't have to follow it, and we won at the Supreme Court. But now they're moving to repeal that. And again, it's this back and forth battle. Religious freedom should no longer be an issue for debate, but the election had a consequence, and this is one of the fruits of, of that election, where now we see these attempted rollbacks on conscience and attacks on life. Roger, in thinking back the few years from when the rule creating exemptions for religious and moral objectors to the contraceptive mandate, you were very involved. And I probably in that small, not small, growing Roger Severino fan club, because not only was the quality of the rule, but it was the approach that you pursued. It was working with stakeholders, working with different groups to find out how far did a rule need to go to be able to address the concerns. And, and when we look at the, the history of the Little Sisters of the Poor advocacy, there was a lot of feet dragging done under the Obama administration where instead of trying to meet the objectors where they were at and understand their objection and issues of complicity and participation, they were giving the minimum. It's a great blueprint that all administrations should follow, any political persuasion. To, especially when we're dealing with religious objections, to figure out what's the nature of the objection and try to accommodate. And it's grounded in that Religious Freedom Restoration Act, an obligation of the federal government to try to avoid these conflicts. And we do it when it comes to disability protection. Reasonable accommodation, reasonable modification. That was another law I, I took great joy in enforcing. Mm-hmm. Very, very much satisfied when we had great results because it comes down to the fundamental dignity of everybody. So people are used to that, that we, we have to be solicitous and go the extra mile for persons with disabilities. We have to have curb cuts. We have to have elevators, retrofits all over the place. And it's made the world, the country, very different yeah, and, a, a more and humane very place. open. Mm-hmm. A more inclusive place. It's removing barriers to full participation. And it absolutely imposes a cost. Billions of dollars in retrofits. That wasn't free. I used to enforce a Fair Housing Act, and it would cost mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars to have them retrofit apartments to make them accessible. Those are real costs. But we see with the secular left, they say when it comes to religion, there cannot be any cost on a third person whatsoever. We cannot accommodate anybody's mm-hmm. religious beliefs if there is any imposition on anybody. But hold on a second. Why would we treat that right any differently than, say, disability rights? If it's about full inclusion, full participation, we remove the barriers. If somebody has, we had this actual case, a beard, and this was a student for religious reasons had a beard and wanted to be a doctor during COVID, this medical student was told, well, you need to have the proper PPE, and if you have a beard, it doesn't fit properly, therefore, we're going to kick you out of the medical school. And we're in review and we said, hold on a second, find an accommodation Mm -hmm. for the student. And they found an even more protective mask that covered the entire face as a powered air purifier. So the student could wear his Mm -hmm. beard and have even more protection for himself and others, as opposed to being kicked out of medical school. And okay, there was a cost. They had to find this gear and we helped them try to do that. But that is a solution that is actually respectful of diversity. But the secular left is opposed to that idea that religion is somehow illegitimate outside the four walls of a synagogue, a mosque, or a church. You keep it purely private. You can't go out in the public with it. It's like secondhand smoke. 
we see that attitude of this administration now, sadly. Well, and it's, it's very interesting when you were talking about the student, I thought it wasn't just to respect and preserve his religious beliefs, but it was also to be able to benefit from his contribution to the medical profession. And when we think about the contribution of faith-based groups, they add so much to society. And when they're excluded from the public square because of a refusal to offer an accommodation, society loses. Absolutely. It's not just the, the believers, but society in general. I wanted to touch upon, and we mentioned a little bit earlier on in the conversation, about one of the other crazy mandates of the Affordable Care Act, and that's what's being called the transgender mandate. That, in addition to a lot of executive orders that were put out very early on in President Biden's uh, first days, definitely are disconcerting for many people, not just for religious reasons or moral reasons, but also medical reasons. Where do we stand on respecting objections to participate, fund, or ensure those kinds of procedures? It's entirely in flux. There are dueling court decisions and injunctions. So we issued a regulation rolling back that transgender mandate, which was a previous uh, Obama administration regulation. That was in the previous administration regulation was enjoined, so we could not enforce gender identity protections. Then our regulation rolling back was enjoined. So now you have these two dueling injunctions. In light of this, the Biden administration has said, we're going to go ahead and enforce sexual orientation and gender identity anti-discrimination in healthcare anyway. We're going to look at the Supreme Court's recent decision on a different statute dealing with employment Mm -hmm. that said transgender status is protected, and we're going to make that apply to gender identity in healthcare. That is a huge leap. Mm -hmm. Biology matters perhaps more than anywhere else in healthcare for proper diagnosis, for proper development of drugs. Sex as a biological variable is required by NIH studies. You have to take into account the sex of the people you are studying because it makes such a profound difference. As the NIH says, every cell in our bodies is either male or female, and that is encoded within us. And to ignore that reality and to replace it with a gender ideology could have dramatic consequences for health and research all on the negative side. And that is what we've been fighting against with this announcement that they're going to start enforcing without even doing rulemaking, it is yet another form of lawlessness. Mm -hmm. We went through hundreds of thousands of comments before we undid the transgender mandate. We did outreach with transgender groups, with women's groups, with pro-choice groups, because it was all dealing with the definition of sex for HHS. We did all that hard work, took it all into account, had a better product at the end of it. They're ignoring it all. They're saying, we don't need any of the public inputs. We're just going to go ahead and do it. And that is a form of lawlessness. Well, and the red flag lawyer mind in mine is thinking about all of the protections, the Administrative Procedures Act, and all of these things that sounds like some of these challenges can only be resolved in our courts. Fortunately, I think our federal judiciary is stronger than it has been in years past, and hopefully, and for sure, our Supreme Court is. It's disappointing that it will probably take years to resolve these conflicts, and there'll be lots of people that are suffering as a result. There will be lots and lots of lawsuits, and what we're doing is embarking on a grand experiment. HHS issued a national coverage determination for Medicare, which covers more than just older persons saying that there was not enough evidence 
to actually say that transgender surgeries are medically indicated, so they wouldn't cover it. That England recently, their high court said for minors, it is too risky psychologically and physically to actually perform puberty blockers and then, of course, surgeries would follow on these 13, 14-year-olds because of the dramatic consequences that we don't know what's at the end of it. It's this experiment that's been imposed on children when over 90% of kids that have any gender issues naturally resolve if you do nothing, if you do nothing. But then we have, of course, people trying to make a name for themselves, especially when you see pride flags everywhere. There is a cultural push and a lot of awards being given out for pioneers in this, especially with children. So you have all these incentives to try to make a name for yourself at the expense of children and trying to recruit doctors to go against even their own professional judgment and the religious beliefs to participate and go along with these particular procedures. Again, it's not about identity of a person. It's about these particular procedures that are going to be forced and especially being used on children. I think the most important thing that all of us, listeners and all of us, need to do is we need to be educated. We need to know where the truth is. We need to know what the the law provides, and we need to speak out. Um, be prepared to stand up for rights and help guide people so that this overwhelming tsunami that's coming at us to demand for conformity, we push back against. Well, this has been an incredibly amazing episode of Religious Freedom Matters, and I'd like to thank uh, both Matthew Bunsen and Roger Severino for joining us, and thank you listeners for joining us. I'm Andrea Pachati Bayer, director of The Conscience Project. Follow me on Twitter at Bayer Pachati. You can read more about The Conscience Project at conscience-project.org. And as I said before, my special thanks to Roger Severino from the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington. Follow Roger on Twitter at Roger Severino underscore And also, follow everything that's being written and done at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Their website is eppc.org. And thanks again to Guadalupe Radio Network's Washington, D.C. studio for opening up our studio for our use. Please tell your friends about what you've learned on the show and join us for our next episode of Religious Freedom Matters.